Hey everybody, welcome to episode 92 of the Masterclass. I'm Cam, joined by my friend Dave. Hello. How are you, sir? Doing all right. Yeah? Yeah. Are you ready for this? I am ready for this. Can't believe we're at episode 92. Well, I'm glad you're ready for it because I I don't know what's, what's going to happen. I am, uh, we are at the whims of the Holy Spirit right now. All right. Fair enough. I feel like we always are. <laughs> As of lately, yes. No, I'm just talking about in life. Oh, yeah, like, that's you true. Know, Very true. Whether whether we admit it or whether we, you know, listen, you know, obviously those are things that are uh, up for debate, but all yeah, right. There's this thing called free will, so. Oh, is there? Yes. Hmm. You're a free willer, aren't you? <laughs> I was really tempted to play the Free Willy soundtrack there, but I didn't, or the theme song, I should say. You had that queued up, ready to go? Well, no, I was going to put it in <laughs> oh, later, later, but I decided right now I wasn't going to do it. Gotcha. Although it's still really tempting. You still could? All right, you know what? We're going to talk Free Will and Predestination real, just real quick. Sure. Because that's actually something I'm very interested in. Mm-hmm. And I've had uh, a few discussions with... Uh, an elder at church about that. And as of our last discussion, he was still pretty in the predetermination camp. Uh, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on why you think free will is correct. Uh, or at least what you think is right. Uh, Well... That's, I guess, I I certainly believe in free will. I'm not, I guess I would actually have to say, I probably fall more into the predestination than I do free will when it comes to, uh, I'm more of a Calvinist in that regard. But if you say... Cause, so you're not a free willer. Well, what you were saying was, is, and I can't remember exact what your exact words were, but... We're something the effect of we're always under the influence of the Holy Spirit, or we're. Oh, I said we're at the whim of the Holy Spirit, and then I said, well, technically we kind of always are. Yeah, I, I, you know, um, we talk a lot from Dallas Willard here, and uh, he has a book called Hearing God, which is actually the first book in the trilogy with, um, divine conspiracy and. Celebration of the disciplines. Of the disciplines. And so I, I, this is kind of different than maybe what you were initially wanting to go with this. And I think Christians are so consumed with what is God's will for my life uh, that we focus on the wrong things in terms of, you know, what job should I do? What, how should I, you know, just who should I marry? What should I, and I, I, I think there's a, a lot more freedom in that, in that he, he in Dallas Willard and Hearing God kind of talks about kids playing in the backyard and that, you know, my children can be out in the yard playing. I really don't care what they play, what they do. My will is sort of that they're outside, they're in the yard, what they do with their time and their 
creativity and all that is really inconsequential to me. And, uh, so, so I, you're, what you're saying is that God doesn't care who wins the football game. Oh, I definitely don't think God cares who wins a football game. Uh, I, I think it's more about us as individuals truly, truly, truly seeking him um, on a daily basis, prayer, in the word, um, being generous to others, being salt, being light, regardless of what job we do, where we're at. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I certainly think there are times and places where God has a specific thing for us. But instead of being consumed with that, I think if we are busy with the prayer and the Bible reading and being in a relationship and drawing near to Him, then uh, being in His will is sort of a, a second piece. Uh, again, it's just one of those things that became easier to understand as a father um, with my children. and. Not I don't want to orchestrate everything my kids do, you know. You don't have I, time for that. Yeah, and I don't want to tell them you got to do this. I I want them to to choose what they want to do. But there are definitely certain things I'm like, no, you shouldn't do that. And yes, you will go to bed, and yes, you will go to school, and so uh, I just can only come from my own experience of I think we become too consumed with uh, God's will in terms of uh, major decisions. And I think really we are in God's will by being in a relationship with him, drawing near to him. And those other things um, can ebb and flow. So, But I'm also convinced that Anybody that he wants in the kingdom is going to be in the kingdom. And um, just because, you know, just because I don't share the gospel with somebody doesn't mean that they're not going to be in the kingdom if God wants them there. And that uh, the book, um, oh, the insanity book that we talked about and I can't remember what the name of the insanity of God of God is that what is insanity of God uh there are some very concrete examples in there of the Holy Spirit God being able to work in people's lives when there are no other Christians around and so yeah so that aspect I'm just convinced that if God wants you he's going to get you well that then begs the question, what happens? Does, let me back up. It begs the question then, if God wants you, he's going to get you. Does that mean that the people that wind up hell are people that God doesn't want? I, I, I don't know that I'm going to go there. I think, I think where we have a hang-up as Christians is where uh, God is glorified as much by his wrath as he is by his grace. And... When I say wrath, I mean a just wrath, a a justice being done there. And I, I think we have this easy concept of, oh, well, when God gives grace, that's his will. But when he does things like harden Pharaoh's heart, 
we have a hard time with those kinds of things because ultimately he's God and he can do whatever he wants. And uh, it's for his glory and not for... The kingdom is not about us, it's for us. <laughs> yeah. Um. So almost identical to your metaphor of the backyard. You just want your kids in there. Um, the pastor that I grew up under, the pastor that I interned with, the guy that married me to my wife, used the metaphor of the baseball field. Mm-hmm. God wants you on the field. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily concerned with whether you're the, kid, the catcher, the pitcher, the first baseman, the left fielder, or the third base coach. He wants you in the field mm-hmm. and then within his field, go where your talents and your giftings lead you and don't necessarily be concerned with, Oh, does God want me to play left field or right field? Do what fits you the best or fits the team the best. Yeah. Or the coach wants you. Exactly. Uh, and that metaphor is like, oh, that's like really poetic and I like it and it's sports, you know? <laughs> but I was like, but that's totally unsatisfying if you're somebody who wants to know, like, tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do. You know, that answer is not satisfying. Okay, I'm on the field. Now, where do I go? What play are we running? Are we in the shift? Are we, you know, see, like, what signs are we using? Tell me all of the nitty gritty details so I can do it exactly like I'm supposed to. And that's usually not me in life. You know me. I'm super laid back and you know about as type b as you can get um which is amazing that we've recorded this many episodes (laughs) with me at the helm (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you jesus um but when it comes to that sort of stuff uh figuring out what i'm supposed to do with my life you know and this all started for me around time i went to college I knew I wanted to leave the house. I wanted, you know, I love my parents mm-hmm. and I left home when I was 17 and I would have left at 15 if I could, not because I didn't love my parents and I still, you know, but I was just ready to go explore the world and I was naive and I thought I knew everything and I was ready to go show the world, you know, how things are done. Um, but along with that comes an incredible insecurity of, what am I going to do with my life? What's my purpose? You know, why am I here? Am I doing things right? And I still have those feelings and I'm 30 now. You know, I've been through a few jobs and now that I have, you know, I'm, I've been married for over seven years and now we have our first child. Like all of a sudden the, what am I supposed to do with my life question? All of a sudden has way more um, gravity to it because mm-hmm. now there's, a, you know, we have a kid and, the responsibility you have as a husband to your wife is enormous. But when you add a child to that, then it becomes not only are you responsible, you know, for your marriage and for, you know, uh, serving and um, providing for your wife. Now there's, there's a child that you have to raise. And that puts, I think for me, added pressure on what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. And so that answer of, Oh, just go play in the backyard to me is like, no, I need more direction than that. And so that's where, like, personally, for me, this whole free will predetermination thing is just like, I'm, uh, I'm, un, I'm unconvinced by either side. Because 
like total predetermination, like five point Calvinism to me is like way too stringent mm-hmm. for what I think, for how I think God operates. But like total free will is equally unsatisfying to me because it seems like God doesn't care. And so I'm trying to, again, with a lot of things, find that third way of, and, and, and maybe that is the whole backyard baseball field metaphor, you know, be in relationship with me, be, uh, you know, be content with where you are. And then within where you are, find the ways that you can serve me. And I might have to be okay with that. I'm not, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I think there is just this, how do I, how am I content uh, at where I am? So I think that is, and honestly, that's something for me personally, just in the last few months, I feel like I've kind of started been like, okay, God, <laughs> I'll be content where you have me because I haven't been over the last few years. I feel like I've been fighting God trying to figure out, like it was my timetable of, I want something new. I want the next thing I want. I'm done. I want to, and it just hasn't happened. And so I feel like in fighting him, he's continued. I'm, I'm grateful that he's kept me where I'm at uh, because I've tried to change. I've tried to do other things and it just seems like there's closed door after closed door. And then, um, it, even in that, just kind of made some decisions of completely staying where I'm at in terms of not putting for promotion, not, you know, just really kind of going, okay, I'm content exactly where I am. And I just here lately feel like a lot of things are starting to kind of be what I expect the Christian faith to be like. And, um, you know, having conversations with people that just seem like it's, if I wasn't a Christian and didn't believe that God was active in my life and the world would seem like completely random things that for a long time were very absent from my life. And I'm grateful that I'm starting to see that again, because those are the, those are kinds of things that keep me going in my, uh, uh, journey with him. I, um, I think if we are abiding in him, if we're praying, we're reading his word, we're seeking him. I think he is faithful to, um, he is faithful to answer prayer. I think prayer definitely can change what God is going to do. Like, I believe wholeheartedly that our prayers can influence um, what God does and doesn't do, but it doesn't come from, uh, well, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I don't have that time with Him, I just kind of do my thing throughout the day, and oh, when I want something, I throw a prayer up and go, hey, God, I'd really like this, and hey, God, i like that. Uh I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast or not, but I've, as a parent of a 20 year old, so I've got 20 years of experience with this, that I've learned when my children really want something, they continue to ask for it. And so 
uh, I feel like I've talked about this with someone. I can't remember if it was here or not, but Olivia got a camera for her birthday and for Christmas. And this is something that she has like consistently asked for over the course of a year, over, over a year. And so when she makes the initial request, I'm like, there's no way you're getting a camera like that. There's just, you know, cause we've, we've had it's a this, nice camera. It is a nice camera. And so, um, but she was very consistent with it and would kind of articulate, Oh, this is a moment when I wish I had a camera. And I'm like, yeah, I could see where having that would be nice right now. And so because of her consistent request, her mom and I, you know, she, it, and I don't, I don't want to take anything away from her because she definitely pulled her resources to make this camera happen. Um, but it was, I, I genuinely like, I, this is something that she probably wants. And uh, I feel like I've rambled on for a while here, so I'll, I'll kind of bring my thought to an end. But I think as Christians, as, as some people who follow God, I think we need to be better at at making requests of him. And I'm not talking health and wealth and prosperity gospel here, but genuinely being in, uh, in the, that place where our heavenly father can hear our request and it's a consistent prayer. It's a consistent, no, don't get me wrong. There's, I've been praying some things for decades and haven't seen an answer to it, particularly salvation of people I love. But, not gonna stop praying that prayer. Yeah, I wonder too how your um, your conviction, one way or the other, between free will and predeterminism affects how you pray and how often you pray. Because I would imagine if you are a strong-willed predeterminist, prayer probably doesn't. Or at least the request side of prayer may not seem as purposeful as someone who is a dyed-in-the-wool free will advocate. Unless I'm fundamentally misunderstanding how people view free will versus predeterminism. Or predestination, I should say. I'm yeah, just, I, I, I guess because for me personally, I lean more on predestination in terms of our salvation. And I don't even know if predestination even totally properly describes what I believe. And it's kind of like what I said earlier. I, I feel like if God is pursuing you, that whole I just irresistible grace... And then I think, too, I just, in terms of from a free will side, I just am like, I don't think I have the ability to accept. Like, in my human, my fallen human nature, I need something divine to intervene and happen for me to even come to a point where I'm like, oh, I need Jesus and I need. Yeah, I. I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I, I think for the, it took us 92 episodes, Dave, but I think we're going to have to <laughs> disagree on a few things. I just, the, when you say for salvation, you feel predetermination there. That, I mean, it brings you back to that question of, well, does that mean that he predetermined some people to go to hell? 
and I get, I understand, you know. Okay, so let me tell you this. Yeah, let's let's go with, yeah, God predetermines people to hell. He's God. Does he not have the right to do that? He does, but what makes me uncomfortable with it is it he he doesn't give those people if he predetermines them to hell he does not give those people the opportunity to make a better choice and if he creates all people in his image it would seem odd that he would predetermine people made in his image to a life without him. That's my hang up. Well, and I guess the, the second piece for me is, is well, what's the point of this life then too? There's, there's gotta be, to, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Right. But I guess for me, there's an element of, there has to be some choice involved on his part or our part on our part. Right. And that's where I'm getting at is like, it would seem, and I don't want to use the term unfair cause that's, that's a child term. That's not how adults right. or God works. Right. Fair is not a discussion, but it would seem unjust for God to not give people the choice to choose him. Right. When he has made us in his image for the sole purpose of, being in relationship and worshiping him. It would just, it, it would not fit for him to say you're in, you're out, even if you want to be in Yeah, that, that is what makes me question that that's and you know, I'm happy to be wrong about it. Um, I just feel like we need to take the opportunity to actually discuss something that <laughs> we might actually view differently, which is so different. Well, and again, I, I feel like these terms fall short. So that's where I don't know that and, I, I don't know that I completely fall on anything. Because again, we're trying to t- take an infinite God and applying him to a finite world. The, here's one of the things that to me has always stood out towards we have a choice in this is what happened before the earth and Satan, and, and demons, and fallen angels. Because there you have a context of God creating them as beings, where, if I understand Scripture correctly, Lucifer, Satan, was kind of second in command. I mean, he was kind of the guy in charge of the angels. I mean, he was very powerful. And that's ultimately what his undoing was, is that he thought he could rival God, and basically with you know, flicking a gnat <laughs> off your arm, <laughs> he flicked Satan out of, out of heaven. And so to me, that says, okay, even when there's not a choice in terms of salvation, there was still a choice for Satan and the angels that were kicked out of heaven. It wasn't they were just robotically programmed to, to, to serve God. Right. They had the ability to choose against him. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like if I feel like if God is going to give us a choice, then hell has to be there. 
Like there has to be a consequence for choosing wrongly. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm totally on board with that. Like that makes sense to me. You have two options. Feel free to choose what you want. Um, but I feel like if he's going to implement, implement that choice from the beginning, that choice has to go all the way to who gets saved and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll find out. <laughs> we will find out. And I guess here's a better way. I guess this is probably a better way for me to describe it is I think everybody has that opportunity to make the choice. I, I truly believe there are some people that if he wants you, he's going to get you. Just like you, just as you look out, just as you read through scripture, there are certain people that are chosen, you know, you have like Abraham. Yeah. Well, the tribe of Judah, the, yeah. the, is the, the people of Israel are chosen, but then yeah, Abraham becomes a, a chosen person. David becomes a chosen person. Moses is chosen. I mean, there is an element of God saying, you're more important because I'm going to be in a burning bush and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to tell you that where you're standing is holy ground because I'm here and you need to take your sandals off. So not everybody has the experiences that Moses, Moses had, that, right. that Abraham had. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's, there's an element to me of, while he may not choose certain people to go to hell, I do think certain people get sort of more of a better glimpse of what they're choosing. Yeah. yeah. No, t- and I'm totally on board with that. Like that is All right, we're starting to agree, so, you know. No, no, <laughs> I'm that's just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, God chooses certain people at certain times to uh do or experience or be a part of something special. That is totally mm-hmm. yes. Two thumbs up. Totally agree. Um and I think I've already explained why I thought that didn't apply to who who just baseline gets saved and who doesn't. Um oh, I was gonna say something else and I forgot. Um but yeah I I'm I'm totally on board with like God picks, you know, like nowadays Dallas Willard to have a huge influence. Tim Keller, even though he's stepping down and re- you know not being a pastor anymore, which is super sad. Um but that is someone who's chosen. John Piper, uh you know modern day people that we can relate to that aren't Moses or Abraham or, you know, um, for sure. And, but I also feel like even if you're not famous, you know, or an author or a pastor, like God can still choose to have you be a key part of your local church. And that's just as commendable and just as honorable as being an author or, uh, you know, a famous Christian. Um, yeah, and also there's, like, we've got free will and predetermination, um, and I think if you take a step back from that, you've got God being able to see the whole picture. And so even though person A is given the choice between God or hell, God already knows what they're going to choose. And that's different than determining what they're going to choose. I've offered you the option but because I know all things, I know what you're going to choose. Mm-hmm. And that to me is different. And I'm totally okay with him knowing who's going to pick God and who's going to pick hell because he's God. I would expect him to know what they're going to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that's a, that's a different, um, that's like a step above what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get that out there to, unless 
uh, in case we hadn't made that clear to this point. Yes. Whew. Did not expect to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It was good though. I haven't had a, I haven't had any discussion on free will or predestination in a long time. And I was yep. a little afraid of what I was going to say. And I, <laughs> I don't think I made a hash of it. Oh, no. Oh, I don't think so at all. But yeah, it, and I, you know, it, yeah, I'm fumbling over my words. So, but I get that's kind of the point I'm making is this is it's not easy to come to, I don't believe. Anybody that says they have an easy, like, this is what I came to, it's like, yeah, maybe we should put a little more effort into that. But So, if you have thoughts <laughs> on free will or predestination, um, you know, uh, Arminianism versus Calvinism, or Molinism, if you want to be somewhere in the middle, mm, that's, mm. that's one that's, that's a little uncommon. Um, Hit us up on Twitter. Dave's at David J. Hogue. I am at Cam Brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N. You can email us, hello, at supermegacorp.net. And you can find the show notes at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 92, where you will find links to everything we've talked about thus far and what we're going to talk about next. Mm which is our main scripture for this very episode. And uh, we've, we're in Matthew 26. Finally, we are, <laughs> we are uh, inching ever closer to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes. Which makes everything that we've talked about to this point actually matter. So that's true. like really exciting that we're getting close <laughs> to the thing that, makes him different from anybody else in the history of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm excited. Uh, Dave, do you want to do the honors? Sure. So we're at uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 1 through 13. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know, after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why why this waste? For this have, could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she, for she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. All right. Thank you. Yep. So I want to talk quickly about the plot to kill Jesus because there's a lot more to that to come. Mm-hmm. And then I want to jump into this Jesus being anointed part because I think that's really important. Um, so I've been rewatching Person of Interest mm-hmm. lately. Uh, you ever watch that show? Mm-mm. 
No. It's really good. You should watch it. <laughs> Do you are you familiar with the premise at yeah. all? Yes. Okay. Um one of the things that is prevalent in the show is conspiracies to kill people. From the government, from clandestine, you know, organizations that are of the government but don't exist on any books or, um, you know, uh, citizen militias that, you know, are fighting for their privacy and against the government because the government's spying on us all the time. Hey, NSA, how's it going? (laughs) Um, But consistent in the show is this conspiracy to kill people, even in the mob. They're a big part of the show, too. And it's these people meeting in secret locations, working together to secretly kill this person because they know too much, they saw something they don't know, or they're too important and their power is going to cause problems. And so when I see, uh, or when we read the beginning of chapter 26, and the chief priest and the elders, they gathered in, in the palace of the high priest, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him, but they said not during the feast because there might be an uproar among the people. Like I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like every <laughs> crime, you know, uh, or every you know person of interest uh, good story plot is that it's these people of power, these people um, of importance who want to keep the power that they have and the control that they have. So they plot secretly to kill a person by stealth, but not to draw attention while they do it. They, they are political and conniving about how and when they want to do this. And as you read that, I'm just, I can see the TV show in my head of how this is, they're in a dark, smoky room, <laughs> you know, in the back of a deli that no one knows is really there. And I mean, I, I don't mean to make light of this because it's it's these people trying to kill Jesus, but the visual to me is just so strong because of the TV shows that I like. And um, I just can't help but think like how what they thought they were going to get away with it, first of all. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for us to remember that like this was the group of people that had power over the Jews. These are the people that had the place of importance, right? The chief priests and the elders. They ran the show. And they're also supposed to be the people that are closest with God, that know the scriptures backward and forward, that are the uh, intermediaries between God and his people. And they're the very people that are conniving and scheming to murder a rabbi. (laughs) I just, I want to not let that go by unsaid the very same people that are supposed to be intermediaries between God and their people are the very ones that are conniving to kill one of the people teaching scripture Mm -hmm. because he's threatening their control and their power. Yes. It's cautionary tale, Dave. Yes. And I think too, um, you know, Jesus uh, is very aware of about what's going to happen. Uh, to yeah, of all the people to to scam or to scheme against. Yeah, I mean he he knows the whole story. Well, here he's saying he that he's going to be delivered up to be crucified. Yeah. So I have to confess, there's this this human side of me that goes, did he really say that, or did they write that after the crucifixion? Because that's they knew that's what happened, you know that whole kind of 
bit skeptical. But anyway, he oh, says, I think he said it, but I'm sure they were like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, cause that's pretty specific. He's going to be crucified. So, and then again, the whole, that two days, the Passover is coming, just the timing of all this and how it aligns with the Jewish holiday and, uh, the sacrifice of the lamb. Uh, yeah, it's not just a random Tuesday. It's Passover. Yeah. Like, it's the biggest, the, most... Uh, the blood of the lamb was put yeah, on the door. The most uh, metaphorical, illustrative, um, purpose-laden holiday they have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's what Easter is supposed to be for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. The Passover bunny. <laughs> He comes with blood and a rag to wipe it on your door. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah. They scheme against him. He knows it's coming. He's setting him up, man. He's setting him up. But anyways, moving on to the next section. Um, so he's, first of all, he's in the house of Simon the leper. <laughs> That's a very important piece of information here. The fact that Simon the leper even had a house is impressive. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so maybe he was a man of means that wound up with leprosy, but he's still unclean, unclean. So it's just a very interesting situation. A, that he's hanging out with a leper because no one should do that. Uh, secondarily, the leper has a house. Third of all, there is a woman around and also the disciples. So they're all hanging around a leper. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jesus is clearly having some impact here because they would never get caught dead with a leper. Um, but clearly at this point, they have learned to trust him in certain ways. Enough yes. to be in a leper's house. Yep. Uh, so a woman comes. Uh, with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Um, I really hope there are some words exchanged before that, because if you're just chilling at the dining room table and some lady comes up and dumps oil on your head, that is a weird social interaction. Yeah. Um, And when the disciples saw it, I love this part, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum. And I'm sure there was an awkward pause, dot, dot, dot. And given to the poor. <laughs> like, oh, yes, we must redeem ourselves here. Um, I just, it is, it is so indicative of how the disciples were and how I feel like I am a lot of the time is I'm in the right place. Look at me. I'm in the house of a leper. I'm doing a good thing. And then when something happens that I don't like or I don't understand, all of a sudden I have to stand up for what's right when I'm not seeing the picture, the full picture of what God is doing right? or the full impact of what's happening. And I, I feel like the disciples there are doing that exact thing. We're here, we're present, we're with this leper, we're, we're honorable men and we're sacrificing. And then this crazy lady comes in and douses Jesus in expensive money when she should have known better and we could have helped feed the poor with the money from that. And then, of course, Jesus just turns around and says, whoa, hold your horses, here's the deal. And uh, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? 
I, you know, um, I, I'm a little bit curious as to what uh, had been revealed to this woman uh, in her heart, in her just innermost thoughts of. Uh, yeah, because that's this, a weird thing to do. I think this is something I need to do. Yeah. Um, because Jesus says, basically, she's preparing me for my burial. Which is, um, that is a powerful, like, grab the attention of everyone in the room type of statement, right? Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bit of, of in awe of um, this woman and what she has done. Uh, I suspect that she is not like me. And this is purely just my little like, well, I, one of the things I think we should be better at doing is putting ourselves within a story, uh, allowing God, allowing God to kind of be creative in how he speaks to us through scripture. Uh, and I think one of the ways you can do that is kind of, um, putting yourself in the story, uh, what would it be like if I was this person? What would it be like if I was this person? What would it be like if I was just a, a bystander? Um, if I was this woman, I suspect I would be going, should I do it? Should I not do it? Is everybody going to think I'm really weird? Is this like, did I mishear God? Maybe and I'll then, just sit on the table and hopes he notices it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, am I, you know, am I going to do this? And, and is, it, is he going to be mad? Is he going to be, you know, annoyed with me where I, I just have this sense with this woman of she just knew that this is what she was supposed to do and, and, and was confident in this. And so, um, yeah, I, I think God really revealed something to her and she was faithful in that. And then this is kind of, I guess just sums this all up for me is the last verse where it says, truly, I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, 2,000-some years later, in a basement in Gardner, Kansas, Here we are. we're talking about this woman and what she did in anointing Jesus before his crucifixion and ultimate uh, burial and resurrection. And so, like, there's this minor, minor little just mind-blown moment of, yeah, it's exactly what you said is happening. It's being proclaimed anywhere in the whole world. And we know who she is. And then the other thing that I I, I just um I, I get excited about heaven because there are things like this is a real person who actually existed. She's not a fictional character in a story. And there will be a day where I will encounter this woman. And I will be like, oh, you're the ointment lady. The ointment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you're, and oh, and there's Simon the leper. Hey. Oh, <laughs> and she's all... totally selling, uh, what, Mary Kay in heaven. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it just um, I, somewhat random thoughts, but um, what a, what a, what a, Ultimately, what a small act of obedience that was that has just major impact. And uh, for me personally, I think there are many of those times in our lives where uh, a small act of obedience can have, you know, talking back to God's will for us, can have eternal impact 
Um, and I don't know how often do I debate whether I should do it or not. And then actually kind of choose that I shouldn't, <laughs> uh, there'll be other opportunities to deal with that. So I'll catch it next time around. But anyway, yeah, that is, uh, I think that's a really good way to sum it up, Dave. All right. Uh, no, I mean, genuinely, like no, I'm, not, no, I, I'm not being smarter. Oh, no, no, no. Silly here. Um, yeah, I think, I think we're just going to leave it at that for, for this episode. That's a good question, uh, to ponder. Yeah. Don't go pour your soda on your coworker. No, I shouldn't have said that. I just ruined the whole thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.